Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us, and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. Welcome in all of our locations, all of our campuses, everyone watching online. We are so glad that you're with us today as we're continuing in our series, Marriage, Family, and Civilization. Now, right now, I just need you to touch somebody near you and say, it's getting crazy out there. It's getting crazy out there. And then maybe touch somebody else near you and say, and you know, it's a little crazy in here too. It's a little crazy in here too, uh, especially after so many questions we received over this past uh, week here. And uh, we, we made a little shift in what uh, we want to do today. And uh, after receiving so many just great questions about marriage, family, dating, a lot of questions about sexuality, a lot of questions uh, in, in kind of the sex department. And uh, just to let you guys know, we're having a, a full series on sexuality in February that uh, we're already planning for right now. But um, we're going to kind of make some shifts in this series because we feel like we need to just uh, address a, a number of things. And uh, you guys might not know this, but right now my wife and my wife and I, Carrie and I, are writing a book called Sex and Sensibility. Well, of course, Carrie's really writing the book, you know, but 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 my name will be on the book, and I'm sure I'll be in the book somewhere. And uh, just after looking over those questions, and and we were going to kind of do the Q and A uh, format today. Uh, we really thought that before we got into some of these more specific questions, we really needed to do one more message on just kind of the basic biblical framework for what God says about marriage. Okay, a couple of weeks ago, I preached uh, that message, uh, 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 no more figs or, you know, fig leaf living, what, you know, something, y'all, you know, whatever that message was, but... Remember, it was all about that ever since the garden, the outside voices that have been attacking marriage and sexuality, those outside voices that come against the voice of God and his plan for marriage. And so what we're gonna do today, I've asked Carrie uh, to, to, to be the speaker today. I feel like at least in this series, there needs to be one Sunday where we also get a woman's perspective on marriage, yeah? And... Uh, So let me tell you how it's gonna look over the next several weeks. We're not gonna rush this series, number one, because it's just too, too important. And so Carrie's gonna be speaking today. Tonight at, uh, at 5.30, she's gonna do a part two to what she speaks on uh, this morning. And then next Sunday morning, listen to this, we have Brian Houston with us from Hillsong Church in Sydney, Australia. That's right. And... Uh, I was, I was just there this past weekend speaking at Hillsong London, 
And he's going to be here with his wife, Bobby, and he's going to be talking uh, about live, love, and lead his message that has a whole lot to do with relationships and marriage and, and, and how to live your life. So that's going to be next Sunday morning. Then I'll be speaking the, that Sunday night again in this series. And then kind of for the next, you know, three or four weekends after that, I'll be preaching a message on Sunday morning. And then Sunday night, Carrie and I are going to address some of those specific questions and, uh, uh, that you guys have been turning in. So you can keep turning them in throughout the series. But uh, we live in a world today where, uh, you know, romance is extremely valued. Marriage is extremely devalued, you know. People, people want to fall in love. They just they know nothing about being in love. Anybody can just fall in love. You know, it's like that Seinfeld. Anybody can just take a reservation. It's holding the reservation. It's staying together is where the blessing is. And you're going to hear a lot about that today. So come on, I want you to give the best welcome you can to the, the mom of the house, the mom of the house, my wife, Carrie Weems. So, and thank we you, have thank been. Thank you. You guys sit we, down. Thank you so much. We have been married for 20 blissful years. I underline the word blissful in that statement. And 10 so. is the number of testings. That's two tens. That's right. Are you good? You, I'm good. You want, you want me to open your water? Yeah, that'd be awesome. Okay. Thank you. Open your water. You, you need any snacks or anything like No, I'm good. You can just. I just need you to go. Okay. okay. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> but thank you anyway. I just want to echo. Good morning, everyone. Our afternoon. You doing well? It's great to be here with you today in the presence of God in His house. And um, I just want to echo what Stevall said. Thank you so much for sending in your questions and giving us the opportunity to speak into this area of your life. You know, I know marriage is such. It's it's the most personal relationship that we have. And um, just the fact that you've asked us questions and that you invited us as your pastors to speak into that very, you know, intimate space in your heart. Um, I just want you to know that we don't take that lightly. You know, we're, we're very honored by that. And we wanna, we wanna steward that access well. And so thank you so much for asking us. And like Stovall said also, you know, once we read the questions, we realized that, um, you know, you can answer specific questions, but have you ever asked someone a question and then they give you the answer and they're like, all it does is create more questions? Okay, so that, okay, then what about this? Then what about this? Then what about this? And what we really realize is what, what really would help is just to have an overall cohesive way of looking at marriage that is really the biblical way of understanding what marriage is. What is God's original intent for marriage? And so I know in a room this size, we've got a huge spectrum of different ideas about what marriage is. Some of you have been in church your whole life, and so this is gonna be on repeat for you. This is not gonna be new. It's always good to just kinda go back to basics and have a look at it again. But for some of you, celebration is your first church home. You've never been in church before. Maybe you've heard some teaching on it, but not a lot. For some of you, maybe you've never heard any teaching on it. And But what I know for a fact is that the world's idea of marriage, what we're hearing day in and day out through media, what we're seeing portrayed in the movies and on television, is not in any way close 
to what God's view of marriage is. And so I think it'll be good for all of us just to kind of go back and take a look at what God defines as marriage and, and what His plan for marriage is and what His plan for a successful marriage is. Is that good? Awesome. Well, let's just go ahead and pray and then we'll, we'll just dive right in. Father, we thank You for Your Word today. And Lord, we thank You that where Your Word comes, Your Word brings truth. And when we know the truth, the truth brings freedom in our lives. And so, Lord, we just right now choose to lean into the truth of your word. We choose to look into it like we would look into a mirror and see our reflection. And Lord, we thank you that your, your posture toward us is always one of love and grace and mercy. And so as we look at your word and what it says about marriage, God, we just pray that you would help us to let our guards down, let our defenses down, and just look at you and say, okay, here's the target we need to hit. Lord, we open our hearts to you today pray that you'll speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, hi there. Fancy meeting you here. See, this is how marriage works. This is how marriage works after 20 years. Carrie and I, I we want to say this as well, that listen, you know, there's so many different people from different walks of life attend and come to celebration, you know, and there's many people today like, man, you've you're, you're on your fourth marriage or fifth marriage. Uh, there's many people to you, you've never been married and all you do is you know, live with people or you're living with, with people right now. Some of you have, have different views on sexuality. We just wanna let you know that from where we go from here in this series, it's not about bringing any condemnation, but it, we want you to feel accepted. We, we, we're so glad that you're here. But what Carrie's gonna talk about where this series is gonna head is without without truth, we can't have wholeness. Okay, and so what we want to do is, so we, we, wherever you are, we want to start the process of moving from brokenness to wholeness. And uh, we're just so glad that you're here. So go ahead. Literally took the words right out of my mouth. Just about to say that. And so um, now my message will be a lot shorter. So... <laughs> No, but it's so true. You know, we don't move toward wholeness in one huge leap. You know, you don't get a revelation of truth and, and go, you know, from A to Z in one giant step. Sometimes just moving into alignment with God's truth in your life is as simple as, hmm, I never thought about it that way before. And then you start changing your thinking and then maybe you adjust a little bit and then maybe you take a step. Can I let you know that this is a celebration church is a safe place to start the process, to walk through the process and to come into wholeness? We are all in process, every single one of us, me, Stovall, everybody on our staff, none of, all of us are works in progress. <laughs> and so we know that it's important for us to make church a place that is a safe place for works in progress. And, and so please understand that as we look at, you know, this is such a sensitive subject, we just wanna make sure that we establish up front how very much in the spirit of love and grace and mercy this is communicated, because it is, it's a sensitive place to be. But if you wanna open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 19, I wanna start there today <clears throat> because um, it just kind of shows, it gives us a great example. I think in a lot of ways, this passage of the Bible and this conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees sounds a lot like the conversation that's going on around us today in our world. So it says here in Matthew, uh, I'm gonna read through verse uh, six and then I'll go on to specifics about divorce tonight when I come back at the 5.30 service. But it says here, starting in verse one, it says, um, Jesus had, when Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went to the region of Judea on the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. And so here's Jesus. He's in this point in his ministry. 
He's attracting large crowds, and the Pharisees are starting to get a little nervous about that because they don't want him to replace them as the big men in town and the people in religious power. And so some of the, te- says some of the Pharisees came to him to test him. Okay, so the point of this right now is to lock Jesus, trap him in his words. And we see the Pharisees doing this all the time. They're always trying to ask Jesus these tough questions and they're trying to trap him in his words. And this is the question they ask him. They say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? In, in, some, in some translations, it, said, it might say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? Or for what reason may a man divorce his wife? But the point of the question was, on what grounds can we divorce our wives? They're trying to catch him in, you know, when is it okay to get a divorce? Now, the reason this is so relevant to where we are is because so many questions that we received were actually this very same question. When is it okay to get a divorce? It's funny, that seems like kind of an age-old question. It seems like from the way back here, from the beginning of time since marriage started, people have been saying, when is it okay for me to get this person out of my life? When is it okay to get out of here, cut my losses, and run? Because the truth is marriage, it's not 100% easy. You know, marriage is like, it's work. Now, it's not supposed to be overwhelmingly all the time work. It is going to bring wholeness. But how many of you, if you're married, you know marriage can be an occasion. It can provide many occasions for being frustrated, for being angry, for getting bored, for getting mad, for getting fed up. And it's funny, we're still asking the question today, when is it okay to leave this person? (laughs) And specifically, the Pharisees were asking, under what circumstances can I put away my wife? And Jesus answers them with this. He says, starting in verse four, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Okay, did you notice that Jesus did not answer their question. Jesus always does that to people. (laughs) They ask him a question, he answers them with a question. But let me explain what Jesus was trying to say. There's an underlying meaning to what Jesus said here, and this is it. He said, you're actually asking the wrong question about marriage. The problem isn't, when can a man leave his wife? You're asking the entire, you've got the completely wrong framework for the way that you're looking at marriage. You're looking at marriage through the lens of the law. The lens of the law of Moses. You want me to tell you, when is it a legal right for me to divorce my wife? But you need to go way, way back before the law and look at God's original intention for marriage. You're asking the wrong questions. You see, the Pharisees wanted to turn the issue of marriage into a legal battle. They wanted to turn it into a set of rules and legalities and rights that they could exercise for their own happiness. Does that sound a little bit like the world we live in today? The truth is that marriage is not a matter of of legality, it's actually not 
a, mer- a matter of contracts and rights that we have one over the other. Certainly there's laws around marriage and all that thing. But the truth is that God never intended for marriage to be defined by law. He intended it to be defined by commitment and his blessing. So I wanna take this for a second, I wanna unpack it, okay? He says, haven't you read that from the beginning the creator made them male and female? First thing, God was the one who established marriage. It was not invented by governments. It was not invented by the church. It was not invented by patriarchy. It was not invented as a way to, to, to legalize the transfer of goods from one generation to the next. There are laws around those things. But the creator of marriage and the designer of marriage is actually God himself. Do you know with the divorce rate what it is? And when we look across the landscape of society today, marriage is failing at such a rate. Why do people continue to get married? I mean, why? There's something planted in us. There's something that God placed in us. It's something about the way that we're wired as human beings that we get to a certain point in our lives and we start looking across the landscape and we start looking for our other half. We start looking for that person that we're gonna spend the rest of our lives with. You know, I know that nobody goes into a marriage and goes, well, I guess I'll get married if it doesn't work out. I'll just get divorced. Nobody goes into marriage like that because marriage is not about legality. It is about heart. It is about heart. And God established it first with male and female in the garden. He designed it. And then Jesus says this. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. It also includes coming apart from the family that you were born into. Sorry, moms and dads. This is definitely the final straw when the apron strings must be cut. Okay, you have to let your son leave the nest and his wife has to become his first priority. You cannot be his first priority anymore. You can preach this message back to me when my son gets married, okay? I'm sure that I will need to hear it. (laughs) But it requires men for you to turn away from your family of origin, to commit and make your wife your highest priority and your first loyalty, right? To leave and cleave. If you don't leave, you can't cleave. So there becomes part of the purpose of marriage is to start a new family. You see this? How he's like, you're gonna take from this family, it's got a person in it, a son. He's gonna leave this family, he's gonna start a new unit. And then cleave to his wife. Cleave to his wife. This means like being cemented together. The word is like glued, cemented. Not just joined in contract, but joined in a way that is inseparable. And so here's the thing. When Jesus says what God has joined together, let no one separate. Some of you in your Bibles, it might say, let no one set asunder. That word separate is a really, really kind of um, mild translation of the word he uses. He literally uses the word, let no man cut asunder. In other words, the, the way that he phrases divorce, the way that he describes divorce is as if someone took a sword and cut one person straight down the middle. Now, if you've been through divorce, I don't need to convince you that is exactly what divorce feels like. It feels like someone cut you in half. And I'm not saying that from experience for myself, but I just know enough people who have been through this. There are very few things more painful in life than divorce. 
and the repercussions of divorce. Those of you who are struggling with living with blended families, those of you who are in custody battles, those of you who are doing the dance back and forth, a weekend here, a weekend here, those of you who are trying to still get child support from people, all the things that come along with divorce. You know, it's not a victimless act. It is, Jesus says, it is like cutting a person asunder. It is like, he says in, in this translation that I love called the voice translation, he says it this way. They put it this way. If a husband and wife are one flesh, how can they divorce? Divorce would be a bloody amputation, would it not? What God has brought together, let no man separate. He describes it as a bloody amputation in that version. You know, it's, he's saying that divorce is not a legal act, but a violent, treacherous act. Say that, okay? Not to condemn. Again, I wanna be so clear, not condemning, but to let you know that, you know, in our day, courts seek to define what marriage is. It used to be this, now we're gonna say it's this. This is exactly what was going on with the Pharisees. When we're married, we can be married, but then we can hand our wife, the law was that you could write down a certificate, that's a piece of paper that said, I divorce you, hand it to your wife, you're divorced. That's how easy it was. And basically what they were trying to figure out is like, this is how the marriage ends. And Jesus was saying, no, you don't understand. The way that God views marriage is actually not impacted by your laws. He has an intent for marriage and that intent is his truth about marriage and it stands regardless of what your laws say. So you might see divorce as ending the marriage, but God says it was the act of infidelity or when the marriage is broken, it's not the legal divorce that ends it. It's, 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 the, it's, the, it's the action that led to it. So we'll talk about that a little bit more tonight. So basically what he's saying is we need to stop looking at, divorce as mar at marriage as a legal matter. We need to understand God's truth about what marriage is. <clears throat> and so that leads us to the question, what is marriage? If it's not just a legal act, although there are you know, laws around it, if it's not just this thing that we do and we fall in love and two people decide to start a family and it's not just an emotional act, what is marriage? What makes marriage really unique from other kinds of relationships? Why do we have it? What was God's intent in it? It's, it really is a different kind of relationship. So there's three things, three things that I wanna say about what makes marriage, marriage. And it's so important that we really begin to define this because as our nation and our world move toward a more secularized society, it's more crucial than ever that we as the church lift up and champion marriages. And to do that, we just have to have a good model. We have to know what target we're aiming for. And so um, here's a few things about marriage. Let me just give you a statement. And I'm sorry that it's not on your screen, but I'll just kind of try to go slow. Marriage, if you wanna kind of sum it up, is the complete union of a man and a woman where each retain their individual identities. Okay, let me just state that again. It's the complete union of a man and a woman where each of them retain their individual identities. Now, let me tell you why I mean that. First of all, man and woman, this is God's design, so he gets to define the terms of it. Secondly, you do not then, when you get married, turn into this amorphous, weird, protozoa, mystical union, one person. When Jesus said, you know, set us up, don't you become one flesh? He literally didn't mean you're like merged into one person, obviously, right? You the thing that makes marriage beautiful is that it's two people who are fully themselves that are choosing to 
put them, their own good aside for the good of the other. That's what makes, in fact, I would say the hardest thing about marriage is just not being selfish. For both men and women, it's just having the courage to trust God with your needs and desires and what you want and put the good of the other person first. It's super hard to do that because our nature is to preserve ourselves. Self-preservation and that, the fruit of that is selfishness. And there's nowhere that it impacts us more than in marriage where God calls us in a very real, everyday kind of way to put the needs of the other person first. So that's really important. So you, it's, it's the union of two people who maintain their separate identities. It's not this like, you know, if you noticed when you got married the next day, you woke up, you were still two people, you probably had a fight the very next day. First thing you did the morning after your wedding was fight with one another. Okay, you still have two wills, two desires, two ways of doing things. The work of marriage is to bring those two things together, okay, in a way that brings unity and wholeness and goodness and good fruit. So a couple of things. This is, this is what's unique about marriage, okay? What is marriage? One thing about marriage is marriage is a union of mind and body. Marriage is a union of mind, if we wanna say soul, that's good too, of mind and body. So <clears throat> let's talk about mind for a second and then we'll go to body. You know in the Bible where Paul says, how can two walk together unless they be in agreement? He talks about do not be unequally yoked. Okay, that is a union of minds. Okay, that's, that's kind of what a little, in a way that's what that's referring to. It's very, very tempting. <laughs> because less and less people are wanting to get married these days. And more and more people, if they wanna get married, they're waiting forever to get married. They're like, first I have to graduate from college and then get a job and then get promoted in my career and then fly to the moon and then learn how to weave baskets and then learn how to speak Latin and then go to every trip I wanna get on. And when I'm 70 years old, I'll finally get married. Like you'll be married for two years and then you'll die. It's like, what are you waiting for? <laughs> All right, it's so hard to find people that you can be like-minded with. And so the temptation is to become unequally yoked because in the moment, the fear of being alone is so overwhelming that you're just like, this guy likes me. He seems like a good, you know, he's breathing. <laughs> he, he can read. He has all of his teeth. You know, he's, he's a Wiccan. But he says he doesn't care because his, his religion's inclusive, so yeah. Like the fear of being alone is, is overwhelming, especially for women, you know? It's very overwhelming. So we can tend to, I don't wanna say settle, but to let that fear overwhelm our faith, which requires us to trust in God. And so we marry someone where we don't have a union of minds. That's what being unequally yoked is. It's a misunion of mind, of framework, of moral framework, of what we think is good and what we think is evil, what we think is right and what we think is wrong. Do we put God first? Do we put self first? In the initial rush of romance, you do not feel the strain and the weight of the difference. But as time goes on, the strain and the weight of the difference begins to feel like a heavy yoke that you're pulling along. And, and so many of the questions again were around, what do you do when you're unequally yoked? I got married to a man or a woman who doesn't believe in God the way I do, who's from a different religion than I am, and now I find myself stuck. And why? Because I wanna really go full on with my relationship with God, but I feel like in doing so, I'm, I'm leaving them. 
and I'm, in, in doing that, I'm leaving a, a little bit of myself behind. Well, you are, because the two of you became one flesh when you got married. And so when you pursue God, you feel the absence, and it's painful. And so if, you would, if I could say to people who are in here who are wondering, is it, should I just, I have this guy and he likes me and he's a good man, he's got a job and he seems stable but he doesn't believe in God. I just, is, is it okay? But can I just say, don't let your fear override your faith. Just keep trusting God. If he's God's person for you, God will bring him around. God can do it. Okay, the other thing, a union of bodies. Bodies. You have a body. Okay, if you're sitting here occupying a chair, you have a body. Now, here's the thing about bodies. God gave us bodies, not by accident. He created us triune beings, body, soul, and spirit. Christianity is really, really unique in the fact that the body is actually sanctified in our religion. A lot of people look at Christianity and they think Christianity is a puritanical, uptight religion. It doesn't let you, you know, they're all freaked out about sex and they're, you know, rigid. No, it's the exact opposite, actually. In Christianity, the body is very important. Let me give you some examples. For one, the Holy Spirit indwells our body. That's kind of amazing. The Holy God, through his Holy Spirit, makes a home inside this flesh and blood that we call our bodies. So, instead of people having to gather and go and go to a place where God dwells, God makes us his dwelling place and he sends his presence out to where people live, through you and me. That's amazing. It's a beautiful truth and a tenet of the Christian faith. But our bodies, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus, are sanctified. Here's another thing. Your body is an essential part of your personhood. Essential part of your personhood. It's not all of who you are, but it's essential to who you are. So when someone destroys your property, they graffiti your house or they scratch your car up or they you know, take something that belongs to you, bash something in, we call that vandalism, right? But if someone harms your body, if they cut, if they offend it, if they use it in some way, abuse it in some way, that it, use it in a way that it shouldn't be used, we call that what? Violated. Because our body is us. And so you can't look at your body as a vehicle that the real you, your soul, your mind, uses just to get done what it wants to get done. Your body and the way that you express your life through your body so Paul tells us, lay your bodies down as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service of worship. What you do with your body matters greatly. You know, a lot of religions, it's like this dualism. In fact, this is one of the biggest heresies of, of the day when Paul was writing the book of 2 Corinthians, was that your body and your spirit were separate and your body was not redeemable. And so it didn't matter what you did with your body as long as your spirit was redeemed. And so they, that's how the church at Corinth became in, involved in incest and in fornication and seeing prostitutes, all these things, because they had this faulty understanding that only your spirit could be saved. And so your body was forever condemned and it was corrupt and it can never be redeemed. So it didn't matter what you did with it which is completely faulty thinking. It was called Gnosticism. So <clears throat> Paul began to tell them, look, no, your body is sacred. And when we get to heaven, you're not gonna be without bodies. We're gonna have bodies. They're just gonna be redeemed body. The, you know, the Bible says that when the last trumpet sounds, the, Im, the mortal will put on immortality. 
We actually have bodies in heaven, they're redeemed bodies, that Jesus, the proof of our redemption, the proof that God's word was true, was that Jesus bodily resurrected from the dead. Bodies are important, and so let's take this and let's put it in the context of marriage. Okay, your body is not a figment of your imagination, and your body is not a social construct to be changed in accordance with how you feel about yourself on the inside, okay? Your body is God's way of saying, this is who you are, and it's important. So when two come together, okay, in marriage, the union of their bodies consummate and seal the marriage, and the two become one flesh. And this is very, it's very, God's very specific. This union of bodies is only blessed in the context of marriage, the covenant of marriage. He's really specific about that. And so for whatever reason these days, people sort of take the idea of sexuality and they, they, it's like they, they make an exception for it. And I'll tell you why I think people do it. I think because it just seems really difficult to control it. Bottom line, it's just too hard. <laughs> and we can't just let the fact that it's difficult cause us to move the line of truth. Okay, none of us are free to use our sexuality and express our sexuality any way we want. Some people have tried to turn this into a gay straight issue. Look, if, you're, if you are a human being and you have the plumbing and you want to use that plumbing, there are ways that you can use the plumbing of your body and they have rules around them that God will bless this at and not this at. He will bless it in this context and not in this context. And so God calls us to a very specific, he, he, God reserves the right to place a demand and put boundaries around the, the, our sexuality. He reserves that right. And so part of being a Christian is not to say, well, I know that this is what the Bible says, but the times are different now, so... This part about mercy and, grace and, and mercy and grace and helping the poor, but not this part about no sex outside of marriage because that's just too hard. Well, for some people, giving is hard. For some people, not stealing is hard. For some people, working is hard. For some people, not lying is hard. What if we just, what if we just also said, well, not committing adultery is hard, so let's just make adultery okay. You see where, the, where it goes with that? God has to define truth so that we have boundaries. And he puts a particular demand on that when it comes to our sexuality. And marriage is his sanctified place for the expression of sexuality. And there's a lot that we can get into, but I'm not gonna get into that right now. Um, <clears throat> but the other thing is this. Marriage is unique. Marriage between a man and a woman, where it's sanctified and smiled upon for the, to express your sexuality. The other thing about marriage is that it is designed to create children and create families. This was really very basic in the passage that Jesus quoted, right? He said, a man will leave his father and mother and he will walk away from them and he will cleave to his wife. He'll join to his wife. In that word cleave, there is very much the implication of sexual union. And so out of sexual union between a man and a woman flow ch ch children, 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 okay, <laughs> children are supposed to come from sex. If you're wondering why you have kids, some of you, that's why. I'm glad to help you out there. Okay, so this is the deal. God established marriage as the fundamentally 
optimal environment for raising and developing kids. And the laws that our government originally made around marriage were put in place not just to say, we only want marriage to look like this. They were put in place to protect what was fundamentally the fruit of marriage, which were children. So marriage through the whole of society, throughout human civilization, has been governed by the principle that marriage will produce children and children need protection. And for the protection of children, we need to put laws around marriage so that the issue of marriage is protected. We need to put inheritance laws around marriage so that some person can't come and steal your child's inheritance. We need to put laws about if one parent dies or one parent leaves, this is what happens to the children. Marriage was fundamentally regarded as a place where society continued through the production of children, through the creation of family units and the, and the birth of children, which then perpetuated society, okay? So marriage is defined by its ability to procreate. God put man and woman in the garden and he blessed them and he said, be fruitful and multiply. It was part of his expressly stated not implied intention that marriage would produce kids because God is Father God. And what does a father have? Children. And because God is a father and, his, he is, and fatherhood is part of his nature, he wants us to live in families. There's so much about, about Jesus and God and that, we, that we understand in the context of our families. You know, families are so powerful because when they're healthy and they're flourishing and they're thriving and they're functional, like, they're amazing, the best thing on earth. But when they're dysfunctional and unhealthy, they can destroy you like nothing else can. Now, I know that all of you in here had completely normal childhoods and perfect parents, and you are perfect parents. I, for, I for one, know that my children will be in therapy eventually, talking about me to someone. And where none of us are perfect, we all make mistakes. But you know what makes up the difference? Just don't give up when the going gets tough. We're all gonna go through dips. Stefan and I have been through dips. There have been times when we have looked at each other and been like, who are you? What in the world? Are you crazy? Have you lost your mind? Where's the person I married? And that's kind of funny too, because the thing is, you do marry one person, right? And in about five years, that's not who they are anymore. Because people change. And for us to try to keep someone in the state that they were when we married them is actually kind of cruel because it doesn't allow them to grow and flourish and change and become all that God's created them to be. And in order for us to give them the freedom to grow and be everything that they need to be, we actually have to sometimes put our own desires down and put them first and take ourselves, take our own desires off the table. We have to serve them. We have to allow them to grow, sometimes to distance themselves. Like, don't freak out when that happens, just growing up. I married a man who was 25 years old. He's now 46. Thank you, Jesus, that he's not the same man that I married when he was 25, okay? And I'm sure he thanks God that I'm not the same woman he married at 25. But in order for us to grow up together, there had to be room for change. There had to be room for failure. There had to be room for disappointment to happen with forgiveness to mend. That's what had to happen for us to grow up together. And too many times, I think people get derailed by the process of just each other growing up, becoming a different person. Doesn't mean that you become a different bad person, it just means you have to change. 
You don't want your wife to be a silly 22-year-old when she's 42. You want her to become a woman of God. Maybe she'll be a little bit harder to, she might have, maybe she'll be a little bit more, talk about to you some. Maybe she'll have more opinions. Maybe she'll wanna do things she didn't wanna do before. It's okay, don't freak out. God's giving you a person to grow old together with. So you're gonna grow old together, you gotta grow old together. <laughs> that means you have to give each other room to change. And this brings me to the final component of marriage. Marriage is about per- being, is, is, is permanent and it's exclusive. It's permanent and exclusive. So this is really important. I know it seems like this should go without saying, but this takes me back to what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees. And I'm gonna close here if the band wants to start coming up. The Pharisees were coming to Jesus and they were saying, hey, when is it okay for me to leave my wife? When is it okay to put your wife away? Is there any cause that you can, you know, is there any cause that you can put her away for? And Jesus says, you got the whole thing wrong. Marriage was not designed for leaving. (laughs) Marriage was designed for staying. It was created as a place where you stay and you don't leave. It's defined by intentional commitment. You know, when someone is fully committed to you, they're fully committed, they're not going anywhere. I can say this about my marriage and my husband. There have been things about me, you know, if if you've been at Sisterhood, you know I've talked about going through seasons of divorce. You know that I struggled for in the early years of our marriage with having a really bad temper. And there was such safety in knowing that while I was working those things out, my husband wasn't gonna leave me because he was frustrated with me. And I can say that he probably was very frustrated with me many times. And I can say that it's not because he's, well, he's a pastor, of course he wasn't gonna leave you. No, he's a Christian. So his vow to me was not a vow to me until I made him happy. His vow to me was a a vow to his God. And to break his vow to me, is to break his vow to God. That's what's kept our marriage. That's what it means to be a union of minds. And you know, the Bible talks about, Pastor John did such a great job talking about this last week, but that marriage is meant to be a picture of Christ in the church. You know, what we, one of the things about Jesus that is so beautiful is that he takes away our shame. You know, we, we come to him out of need. We come to him because we need relief a lot of times. Our motives for coming to Jesus are selfish. That's okay. But Jesus doesn't like give us a, t- a window of time to get it together and then he's out. he's out. Jesus is fully committed. He's in this. He paid the ultimate price to fully commit himself. And because of that, we respond with love and honor and gratitude and we respond to, with commitment to him. Our relationship with Jesus is exclusive. We don't let other gods come in. We don't let other idols come in. Nobody gets to compete with him for our love and affection, right? It's just not even, you know, it's like what God says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the others like it. You'll love your neighbor as yourself. How much is that like the marriage that we want? One person, just one that it's exclusive, that it's a safe place, that there's not the fear of rejection, there's not the fear of this person's gonna give up on me and walk out if I get it wrong. You know, I know that's not where a lot of our marriages are right now. I know in a room this big, there have to be many people thinking 
that describes something that is so far from my marriage, I just wanna wipe the slate clean. I just wanna start over like I can never get there. I just wanna encourage you today. Let's just take our marriage. Let's just, this is the step I wanna make today, okay? I just wanna pray with you. I wanna just take one step and let's just say, hey, you know what? I'm gonna submit my marriage to the Lordship of Christ. I'm gonna align my truth with the truth of God's Word. I'm gonna align my thinking with what Jesus said marriage is. I'm gonna stop looking for reasons and ways to get out. I'm gonna stop, start looking for the point, the line that I'm gonna cross where it's now it's okay to go. And I'm gonna realize that marriage was given to me for permanence, given to me for safety, given to the world to show them what G, my relationship to Jesus Christ is like. So let's just do this. Would you just stand with me really quick? I'm gonna pray and then I'm gonna ask Sev all to come close this in prayer again, but um, I just wanna pray with you. And let's just have every head bowed and every eye closed right now. And I just wanna pray. If you want to, if you wanna raise your hand, I'm gonna pray over marriages right now, okay? And I just wanna pray specifically for marriages that are hurting. And if you wanna raise your hand, just as a sign to God that you want to pray for your marriage, it doesn't mean your marriage is struggling, you're not revealing it. I'm just, if you want special prayer for your marriage, this is an area where you realize, man, I need God's grace and I want God's grace and I wanna submit my marriage to the Lordship of Christ from here on out. Let's just raise our hands right now and let's pray. Father God, we just call upon you right now, Lord, for every marriage and family that is represented in this room. And Father, we thank you that your word gives us a really clear target for what it means to be married in a way that gives honor to you. And so Lord, I pray for these marriages right now and we pray that your grace would Fill it up, God. Fill every home up, Lord, that you would bring your grace and your strength and your wisdom and your truth. And in that, you would be freedom. I pray that people would leave here today refreshed and ready to keep going and ready to keep trusting you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.